Terminator is out there. It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear. And it absolutely will not stop. Ever. Until you are dead. Shh. It's the milk flavors. Hey guys, I'm Chris. Hey everybody, I'm Robert. And we're the Film Flamers. And it's time for us to discuss some more summer blockbusters. Oh, even though this movie, I think, was released in the fall, but still, it made some money. Yeah, it did. Mm-hmm. So, continuing with our summer blockbuster trend, we're talking about... The Terminator. That's right. We are back with The Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> Get in the chopper. Affirmative. Wait, that's a different movie. <laughs> that's Drew Lies. <laughs> no, Get in the Chopper is fucking Predator Man. Is it? Yes. Get to oh. the Chopper. <laughs> I need to brush up on my Arnoldisms. I don't apparently. know. He probably says all of these things in multiple movies. I'm sure. Didn't don't they have a band that all the song titles are like Arnold Schwarzenegger quotes? Maybe. Like I know they have a song called Come With Me If You Want to Live. Yeah. Anywho. So The Terminator is a 1984 American science fiction action film directed by James Cameron and written by Cameron and produced by Gail Ann Hurd, with co-writer William Wisher Jr. receiving credit for additional dialogue. The film focuses on a cyborg assassin sent back in time from 2029 to 1984 to kill a woman whose unborn son will one day save mankind from extinction at the hands of a hostile artificial intelligence. When you were watching this, did you like think to yourself how how close 2029 is to us like right now? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm like, oh, prophecy. The film stars Arnold Schwarzenegger as the titular killing machine, Linda Hamilton as the woman in peril, and Michael Bean as the man set back in time to protect her. Paul Winfield, Lance Henriksen, and Earl Bowen play memorable supporting roles. James Cameron devised the premise of the film from a fever dream he experienced during the release of his first movie, Piranha 2, The Spawning. Love it. <laughs> In this dream, he envisioned a metallic torso holding kitchen knives and dragging itself from an explosion. Drawing some inspiration from John Carpenter's low-budget slasher Halloween from 1978, Cameron used his dream as a starting place to write a slasher-style film. Okay, listeners. Come with us if you want to live. This is... The Terminator. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> In the 21st century, a weapon will be invented like no other. This weapon will be powerful, versatile, and indestructible. It can't be reasoned with. It can't be bargained with. It will feel no pity, no remorse, no pain, no fear. It will have only one purpose, to return to the present and prevent the future. This weapon will be called the Terminator. You're dead, honey. What day is it? The date? 12th, May, Thursday. What year? I'm here to help you. I'm Reese, DN38416, assigned to protect you. You've been targeted for termination. 
doesn't want me. Why me? Arnold Schwarzenegger is the Terminator. Your future is in its hands. In 1984 Los Angeles, a naked and muscly cyborg assassin known as the Terminator, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, arrives from the year 2029. Kyle Reese, played by Michael Bean, a human soldier sent back in time from the same year, arrives the same night. The Terminator begins systematically killing women named Sarah Connor after creating a list from the phone book. He tracks down the final Sarah Connor, played by Linda Hamilton, on his list to a nightclub she's ducked into called the Technoir. Before she can be killed, she's saved by Reese. They escape in a stolen car with the Terminator at hot pursuit. Reese explains to Sarah that an artificial intelligence defense network known as Skynet, created by Cyberdyne Systems, will become self-aware in the near future and trigger global nuclear war in order to eliminate all of humanity. Sarah's future son, John, will lead the resistance movement against Skynet and its army of machines. With the resistance on the verge of victory, Skynet sent the Terminator, an efficient killing machine with a metal endoskeleton and an external layer of living tissue disguising it as human, back in time to kill Sarah and therefore eliminate John's existence. After another encounter with the Terminator, Reese and Sarah are apprehended by the police. Sarah is questioned and Reese is interviewed by a criminal psychologist, played by Earl Bowen. The Terminator arrives at the station and demands to see Sarah but is rebuffed by the desk sergeant. He exclaims, I'll be back, and does so by driving a car into the police station. He marches through the station, killing officers in his path. During the kerfuffle, Reese and Sarah escape, steal yet another car, and eventually take refuge in a motel room, where they make pipe bombs and plan their next move. You know, the normal first date. Reese admits that he has been in love with Sarah since John gave him a photograph of her years ago, in the future. Sarah kisses Reese, and he rails her. The Terminator kills Sarah's mother and impersonates her on the telephone when Sarah contacts her. Realizing the Terminator has tracked them down, the two flee in a stolen pickup truck while the machine races after them on a stolen motorcycle. During the chase, Reese is wounded by gunfire while tossing pipe bombs. Angry, Sarah knocks the Terminator off of his motorcycle but loses control of the truck, flipping it. Now bloodied and badly damaged, the Terminator hijacks a tanker truck and attempts to run Sarah down, but Reese is able to slip a pipe bomb into the tanker's tailpipe, causing an explosion that burns all the flesh from the Terminator's endoskeleton. They make it to a factory where Reese turns on the machinery in order to confuse the robot. He jams a final pipe bomb into the robot's abdomen, blowing it apart, injuring Sarah and killing himself. The Terminator's torso reactivates and grabs Sarah. She manages to break free and lures it into a hydraulic press, crushing it to death, or whatever it's called when a robot dies. Months later, a pregnant Sarah travels through Mexico recording audio tapes to pass on to her unborn son, describing the events she lived through and what is to come for humanity. At a gas station, a boy takes a Polaroid of her and she buys it. It's the same photo that John will one day give to Reese. He says, a storm is coming. Sarah responds, I know. And?
da, na, na. <lacht> die bom, 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 bom. <lacht> <lacht> The Terminator was released by Orion Pictures on October 26, 1984. The film grossed more than $4 million opening weekend, securing the number one spot at the box office ahead of movies like Universal's clip film Terror in the Isles and De Palma's Body Double. The Terminator would hold the number one spot the following weekend as well. Ultimately, the movie would go on to grow $78.3 million in North America against a budget of only $6.4 million, making it a bona fide hit and launching James Cameron's career and cementing Schwarzenegger's status as a leading man. It certainly did. The Terminator holds a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes and is certified fresh. You don't say. Obviously, right? The audience score sits at 89%. The site's consensus reads, With its impressive action sequences, taut economic direction and relentlessly fast pace it's clear why the terminator continues to be an influence on sci-fi and action flicks at the time critical responses were actually mixed variety for instance gave praise calling it a blazing cinematic comic book full of virtuoso movie making terrific momentum solid performances and a compelling story schwarzenegger is perfectly cast in a machine-like portrayal that requires only a few lines of dialogue Time placed the film on its 10 best for 1984. Mm. Other reviewers criticized the film's violence and storytelling qualities. The New York Times thought it was a B-movie with flair. Much of it has suspense and personality, and only the obligatory mayhem becomes dull. There's far too much of the latter in the form of car chases, messy shootouts, and Mr. Schwarzenegger slamming brutally into anything that gets in his way. The Newshouse Service, whatever that is, called the film a lurid, violent, pretentious piece of claptrap. <laughs> I had to add it. <laughs> well, those reviews don't exactly stand the test of time. No, that claptrap. <laughs> what is this claptrap? What is this pretentious violet claptrap? <laughs> so lurid. <laughs> it did get some accolades, and uh, at the Saturn Awards, it was nominated for Best Actor, although Arnold lost to Jeff Bridges for Starman. Uh, and Best Actress, although Hamilton lost to Daryl Hannah for Splash, and Best Director, although James Cameron lost to Joe Dante for Gremlins, mm. as well as Best Music, interestingly, but lost to Jerry Goldsmith for Gremlins as well. Well deserved. It won Best Science Fiction Film, Best Writing, and Best Makeup, though, at the Saturn Awards. Yeah. Also well deserved. The Terminator has received a lot of love from the AFI over the years. It ranks 42nd on the 100 Years 100 Thrills list. It was selected as the 22nd greatest villain on the 100 Years 100 Heroes and Villains. Coincidentally, the Terminator is the only single character on both hero and villain lists. Schwarzenegger's catchphrase, I'll be back was voted the 37th greatest movie quote by the AFI. A sequel, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, have you seen that? I'm not sure. Um, was released in 1991 to great success. And we'll be diving into that one next week, actually. I've never seen it before. Oh. It's going to be <laughs> just so like life-changing for me. Yeah, whatever. In, t- <laughs> in 2008, the Terminator was deemed culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant by the Library of Congress and selected for preservation in the U.S. National Film Registry. It's we should on. do a top 10 for all the... National Registry Library of Congress movies we've covered because I feel we've done four or five or six. At yeah, this point. it's been a lot. It's been a while though. So mm-hmm. I was pretty happy when I saw that. Uh, Schwarzenegger biographer Lawrence Lemer wrote that The Terminator was an influential film affecting a whole generation of darkly hued science fiction and it was one of Arnold's best performances. Because it doesn't open his mouth. Yeah, he doesn't have to do anything. But <laughs> like, 
like stand there and look muscly and like shoot people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's just get into it. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's got kind of an interesting background. Obviously, we've already mentioned like James Cameron was in Rome uh, after Piranha Two: The Spawning, <laughs> which he famously, you know, was like picked up for because he was working on all the Roger Corman films, mm-hmm. and he was picked up for. I think he replaced another director on that, and he famously broke into the editing the editing studio because they wouldn't let him edit his own movie and you know and that's his, his lowest rated uh film that he has a credit on essentially well, roger corman you know ran a tight ship right and it was you know he, he wanted to save money and i i feel like letting the director edit the movie would have saved some money so i don't know why that's happening right uh coincidentally joe dante directed the first piranha you know, and he really cut his teeth with Corman too. And so it's, it's kind of funny to me that, you know, uh, Cameron took up the sequel to Piranha and later on lost an award to Joe Dante in the same year they made movies. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's it's an interesting school. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, he actually got sick and had a dream about that. Like you mentioned the metallic torso holding knives and dragging itself from an explosion and started to, to write about it. And he was inspired by, of course, John Carpenter's Halloween back in 78, that was done on such a low budget and he used the dream as a launching pad to write, you know, uh, his own style of a slasher slasher film. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, His agent actually disliked the idea and told him to work on something else. And of course, knowing Cameron, he fired, he immediately fired his agent. (laughs) That sounds like James Cameron. Well, when he gets on an idea and he knows it's going to work, like, you know, he, he, He'll, you know, fuck everyone in his way. Well, he <laughs> fuck has, over everyone. He as has a vision, a mission statement. He stated that other influences for Terminator included uh, The Driver, Mad Max 2, and obviously the TV show The Outer Limits. He returned to California and stayed at the home of Randall Frakes, uh, who actually was an investigative journalist in the Army. And then he turned into a special effects coordinator and even later a writer working on the effects for such films as beyond the battle of the stars for Roger Corman. So they probably met through Roger Corman Yeah, and um, later escaped from New York. He shifted to writing, starting the novelization for the Terminator Terminator two. Uh, he worked on the FX for aliens later, and then he co-wrote true lies, et cetera. So wow. like he's yeah, p- pretty prolific. So he was staying with Randall flakes and, and basically wrote the first draft of this movie. Uh, and interestingly, the first draft included two Terminators, one cybernetic, the other liquid metal, the liquid metal concept may or may not come up again in this franchise. I know, but what a neat idea. Yeah, but he thought the yeah the effects were not there yet. No, obviously. there's no way in the world. Yeah. This also started Cameron's partnership and eventual marriage to producer Gail Ann Hurd. What? Yeah, who expressed interest in the project. He sold the project to her for one dollar. Well, because they were fucking? No, because it was under the pretense that she would produce it and he would direct it. Right. It was his only way to get into the studio system because he was an independent director. This is an independent film. He needed to find a budget. He needed someone to pay for it and he needed someone to redistribute it. So first thing you need is a producer. And she had expressed interest and passion for it. And so he sold it to her for $1 so she could shop it to all the studios. And so she found the funding for it. I didn't know that they were married. They they were married during Aliens. And when did he marry? um... After Terminator 2. Linda Hamilton. No, no, no. He, but there's another director. She, she won the Oscar for um, that army movie you hate so much. Army movie. God, the Marines in Iraq, Bomb Squad. Oh, Ka- did she Catherine produce Bigelow. that? She, did she produce that for Catherine Bigelow? I don't know, but he, James Cameron was married to her. I thought Catherine Bigelow. Yes. Yeah. There's three, at least three big names in Hollywood that he's married. Wow. <laughs> I, I, I need to look up and see how long these things lasted. Yeah, too. He's I like had three or four minutes. What a player. <laughs> 
so um yeah but that was started like a beautiful relationship because they worked on a huge amount of projects together and, mm-hmm. and all, you know most of them are classics obviously um but orion she got orion to to agree to distribute the film but they only did so if cameron and Heard would find the financing elsewhere so they approached hemdale film corporation to do so and put together a pitch to finalize the deal because they were hesitant right and so um james cameron's personal friend lance henriksen who we all know and love he makes a cameo obviously in this movie for several speaking lines as well as of course playing bishop in aliens uh the android and had him dress up like a like a terminator including like foil on his teeth and the big motorcycle jacket and all that stuff <laughs> and had him kick open the door of the, of the executive's office <laughs> and acting generally uh acted generally threatening but it worked and the budget was approved for six and a half million dollars and this movie looks expensive so i mean through, through a lot of it yeah and of course, then, of course, they had to start the production and they had to st- start thinking about casting. And of course, the studio had their ideas and James Cameron had his. And of course, the, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger came up in conversation. <clears throat> yeah, I, I would love to like be in the room when like when that happened. You know what I mean? Like, what was he doing at the time? You know, like Conan? Yeah, he was working on Conan the Destroyer. Okay. Which I, is there either the original or the sequel, maybe. The I think sequel? it's the sequel. It was Conan the Barbarian and the Destroyer, right? Yeah. And really, his only job in that was to, like, take his shirt off and, like, swing a sword, yeah. you know? Well, yeah. I mean, there's a little more in-depth than that, but sure. I mean. <laughs> okay. But after a meeting was set up between Cameron and Schwarzenegger by the studio, Cameron initially disagreed with the casting because it was for Reese. Oh. Right, he, he was going to play Reese and devised a plan to avoid casting him because he would pick a fight with Arnold and then return to Hemdale and find him, you know, unfit for the role. <laughs> so he's going to set up a big fight. But Arnold actually turned out to be pretty entertaining and couldn't stop talking about how the villain should be portrayed. So Cameron ma- uh, maintained that Arnold shouldn't play Reese, but that he'd make a hell of a Terminator. Yeah. So Arnold, however, was not excited by the film behind the scenes. So during an interview on the set of Conan the Destroyer, an interview asked about a pair of shoes he had laying out, which belonged to the wardrobe of the Terminator. And Schwarzenegger responded, oh, some shit movie I'm doing. Take It'll take a couple of weeks. <laughs> Shut your mouth. <laughs> so James Cameron later said casting Arnold Schwarzenegger as the Terminator, on the other hand, shouldn't shouldn't have worked. The guy is supposed to be an infiltration unit, and there's no way you wouldn't spot a Terminator in a crowd instantly if they all look like Arnold. It made no sense whatsoever, but the beauty of movies is that they don't have to be logical. They just have to have plausibility. If there's a visceral, cinematic thing happening that the audience likes, they don't care if it goes against what's likely. And then he went on to say, somehow even his accent worked, and had a strange synthesized quality like they hadn't gotten the voice thing quite worked out. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I love it. I so let me talk about Arnold for a little bit, and I, and I know that we're going to be doing that again in like another episode next week. But um, I feel like like Arnold's early work, you know, kind of ending at the Terminator, was all about him being a bodybuilder, right? Yeah, like it really was about his stature and his appearance, and less about his acting abilities, right? But something happened after the Terminator that, like we said earlier, really cemented his like leading man status. And he started to get all this like comedic work, you know, in movies like kindergarten cop and stuff like that. Twins or whatever. Yeah. You know? And, um, I think that he's great in some of those movies, you know, I think kindergarten cop is really one of the funniest movies and I like watching him in it. And so it's, it's really neat. To it's watch. not a tumor. It's, yeah. I know. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, uh, it's really neat to watch his progression as an actor and, you know, people started to take him just a little bit more seriously and not just like a body, you know? Yeah. And I think a lot of that is is James Cameron, you know? Yeah. 
especially after Terminator 2, because that was early. That was 91. And a lot of those hits kind of came out after that. Yeah. So as we discuss the the production a little bit more, let's talk a little bit of the special effects. Yeah, because a lot of it is good and some of it is kind of not. Yeah. So it's it's funny because uh, James Cameron, of course, had a lot of contacts in this area. Right. He himself was some sort of like special effects, like technical coordinator for Roger Corman. Right. Uh-huh. And um, so he went to like Rob Botton. Right. Because he knew that guy was super fucking talented. And of course, but he had just signed on to do John Carpenter's The Thing. Mm-hmm. And so then he went to someone else and asked him to do it. And he was like, well, no, you need someone that's really into robotics and animatronics. And so it was like, well, I have this friend, Stan Winston. And so that basically helped kick off Stan Winston's career into the big blockbusters. And what a storied career it is. Like, and he's, really. yeah. And he spent seven <clears throat> months finalizing and creating that Terminator puppet. Yeah, I love, 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 love the way the robot looks in this movie, right? Yeah. The, the skeleton part of the robot. For the full body shots, they had to use some like stop motion-y, mm-hmm. like puppety kind of things. But for, they, they did a really good job of mixing up the shots that were, you know, in-camera puppet, you know, and close-ups and all that. And also like the mixing the, the thing walking around. They did a really good job of mixing those up, even though that stop motion-y, go motion-y type of stuff doesn't really hold up. No. You know, um, you know, and of course, to contrast that seven months, I'm sure he spent about seven minutes working on Arnold's prosthetic head. Yeah, that really doesn't hold up. There was the one point in the movie where I just like checked out for a minute, you know, and that happens way before like the endoskeleton sort of walking around in that factory. Right. And I think they're smart to save the really good effects to the end of the movie. It creates a really good crescendo moment. Yeah, but that fucking like Arnold prosthetic head. When he's like picking shit out of his face in the bathroom of that motel, I'm like, oof. Like, yeah. No, you know? I remember seeing that as a kid and it just fucking traumatized me. Yeah. yeah when I was younger watching this movie. And it was more, way more believable back then, too. Oh, yeah, definitely. But, you know, like times change, obviously, right? And we've talked about movies like Jurassic Park that have just like the most incredible special effects and was so groundbreaking at the time, right? And obviously, Cameron, many times over in his career, would have the opportunity to have these groundbreaking effects moments, right? And I mean, I, I don't know if at the time that this would have been considered one, but um, I, I like the effects in this movie with the exception of that that face prosthetic. Yeah, no, it, and it really works and it doesn't really take away from it. It does make me go oof when I see like some of the mirror shots of the Terminator's head and yeah. the prosthetic, you know, but I can forgive things for technological limitations. You know, they, they went as far as they could. I mean, honestly, if, we're, if you're looking at this movie from a nostalgia standpoint, right, and you see something like that and yeah, it may be a little cringy just based on like modern movies that we see. But I mean, you're watching a movie that takes place in 1984, so it should also look like 1984. Yeah. And we've seen so many like early 80s movies that looks like sh- utter shit. Yeah. And this does so much so well. Yeah. That it's easy to forgive. And it doesn't really rely on the effects through most of the movie, you know, I mean, explosions and shooting and stuff like that. Yeah. But I mean, by and largely, it's a fucking slasher movie. Well, a lot so. of it is trickery and in camera, you know, um, like him punching through the glass. Right. Mm-hmm. That's actually him. That's actually Arnold punching the windshield. But his arm is tied behind his back underneath his jacket. And they had put in like a hydraulic like puncher, you know, in a jacket with a glove. And it, and it looks perfectly seamless it does i would have never have known and they had no budget so they had to rehearse that like fifty thousand times in order to get it perfect because they could only do like one or two windshields because they mm-hmm. didn't have the budget yeah 
because the setup was too long and everything. Windshields are expensive. And it looks great. It, I mean, it really does. I mean, I had no idea. Like, I, I really thought it was some sort of, like, editing process or whatever. And that really was, like, Arnold Tan doing that shit. Yeah. And, of course, at the beginning, you can tell, like, some of them are, like, little like, six-inch models or whatever the hell oh, they yeah, are yeah. flying around in the future scenes. It's the very, very beginning. But overall, it looks still... You get the vibe. You know? Yeah. I, I kind of like the intro to the movie, too, though, when they're, like... Crushing skulls and shit like that. It's a nice touch. Yeah, it is. And uh, obviously tied into that vibe is the music, which was yeah. basically all synthesizer. And I think one of the only, besides Terminator 2, mostly synthesizer scores of James Cameron's career. But that was the 80s. It was. Again. I mean, that, that was 80s horror, too, you know? Yeah. I feel like this one, aside from the synthesizer, has some nice, like, militaristic moments to it. Like, you know, all the drums sounds like a marching to war kind of thing. And- it has a really iconic theme to yeah. it. You know, and then they put it to piano for sex scenes and et cetera. And, you know, mm-hmm. and it can be dramatic, but it could, the same theme can also be kind of touching. And so it's really interesting that they were able to find that. And this is by a composer that really isn't really much known outside of the two Terminator movies. I know it's like Brad, Brad Fidel. I didn't even know his name. Or Fidel or Fidel. Until making notes for this movie. So, yeah. I remember seeing as a kid, like an interview with him on the TV after Terminator Terminator 2, because it was all synthesized and he was doing it on his keyboard. It was doing it for like a news channel to show how he did it and oh. everything and yeah yeah i mean I, li- I like the score i think it's good i really like the boom 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 you know what i mean it's super iconic and memorable and um it seems like a, a really easy theme to appropriate into other movies you know like it's kind of like like halloween has the perfect kind of theme terminator has a theme it's it's recognizable really yeah. is what it is yeah so let's talk about some of the moments in this movie that we like the most yeah there's a lot you know, um, we talked briefly about that, like intro scene where we had the title card, right? Yeah. Explaining everything. And I mean, the end of that title card is kind of stupid and about like in our time. It's really dramatic. Tonight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then, yeah, like we said, there's like all these machines, like crushing skulls and shooting. And like, it seems like a terrible, terrible place to be in. Right. Well, they set it up very quickly. Yeah. And, and to where everyone understands exactly what's happening. Exactly. You, you, you don't have to spend much time worrying about what's in the future because it's in the present. Like, they make that perfectly clear. You just know someone had, like, a page of exposition, James Cameron, and this just whittled it, whittled it, whittled it down into, like, two sentences, you know, and was able to just get with through visual storytelling and that little, you know, title card or whatever um, to get everyone on board yeah. so that we could just get all that shit out of the way. And it's all you need because, I mean, we get to see larger machines we get to see dead humans and we get to see like a terminator with no skin on it you know it's everything you need and then just go on to the story well i feel like the most iconic part uh is not really the future scene but what would set up kind of the style of how these things arrive for all of the rest of this franchise and even spoofed on later in many other movies is how they arrive from the future naked with a kind of an energy field or whatever and there's lightning and, and everything. And the whole thing kind of reminds me of Highlander <laughs> a little <Yeah>. bit. <laughs> I feel like Highlander riffed off of this a little bit, you know, especially with that sex scene. It's almost exactly the same. Yeah. There's a lot of lightning in Highlander, right? When did Highlander come out? I feel like before this, but I'm probably wrong. 1986. Oh, so after. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're right. I mean, like Arnold arriving on that street, right? In a like a field of lightning and there's people around, you know, and he's all naked and muscly and shit. You know, it's like, it's super, super memorable. And now with HD, you can see all those jiggly bits. Yeah. You know, get a little <laughs> peen in there too. Although, I mean, like anybody who picks up whatever his book was called, you know what I mean? Has seen that penis, but <laughs> so, I mean, or just, what? just, 
Yeah, he made he he has a book. I mean, about bodybuilding that came out before he was even a serious actor. I forget the name of it, but I mean, like, there's like a naked photo of him. I'm sure you could Google it at this yeah. point, you know. But um, yeah, he's super buff. Yeah, in that scene. <laughs> yeah, and it's actually it's interesting because it kind of sets up humanity versus you know like the Terminator arrives kind of like down on one knee and perfect mm-hmm. like he's about to, to start racing. You know what I mean? Like he's in that position. Yeah, uh, to start. Yeah. And then when Reese comes, he's like falling out of the air and he's like <laughs> in horrible pain and he's naked and sweaty and he's like, God damn it. But still also hot. You know what I mean? Like, I love this. Then cops have to dress him through like Ross dress for less or. <laughs> Wait, Arnold gets his clothes from like just punks off the street, right? Yeah. Yeah. Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton. Yeah. Like matching sizes. Yeah. Bill like- Paxton's cameo here, you know, <laughs> and he was good on set. And so he remembered him. And so he was cast in Aliens. And I mean, like he's shared throughout that that group of people. So, you know, Catherine Bigelow put him in Near Dark, and I mean, like I, I really love it when when directors or groups of directors use the same cast members. You know, like Cameron does that a lot. Yeah, and, and I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And then he immediately starts killing off the Sarah Connors. Yeah, with the phone directory. Yep, <laughs> the phone directory. Because <laughs> it's 1984, and you can't just find someone's address and phone number via your cell phone. You have to go to the phone booth and pull the page out of the phone. Book. Yeah, this actually sparked a conversation between Matt and I because he was like, "Why wouldn't you just have all that information?" I'm like, "This movie was made in 1984. This is pre-internet. They were thinking like the future after nuclear holocaust. Like everything's gone. There's the only thing that was available is on individual computers." Yeah. Right. And so there's like no like network that they're thinking about. You know what I mean? Everything's lost. And all they know is a name and where, you know, and a date, you know, the the general location. So I don't know. I think it's uh, kind of interesting to think about as far as what they thought the future would be or what, you know, the resources, the machines would have and how that evolves over the franchise. I agree. And um, I know we'll, we'll touch on that again, like next week when we talk about Terminator 2. Um, but it's kind of neat to see like, you know, what they feel like a machine would be like, even like a, like sentient machine, you know? And what's equally scary, I think, is knowing that we're super close to 2029. And I feel like we could create something like this. You know what I mean? We're making slow changes, but obviously I, I think like if something like this were to happen in our actual future, it'd be a hell of a lot more scary based on what that kind of technology was in 84. Yeah. Speaking of 1984, she goes to a to a club called uh, the Technoir because she feels like someone's following her. Linda Hamilton, Sarah right. Connor, and of course that club. He actually built that club and named it that way because that's what he envisioned this genre being like the same, like um, Blade Runner esque, you know, mm-hmm. film noir. He thought it was making a straight horror film. Turned out to be more of an action film. Yeah, action horror as he is known to do. Um, but yeah, that, that building still exists. Pe- he had to like take people cause they didn't have like a huge crew. And so people were trying to get into that club <laughs> so really? they had to keep turning people away while they were filming. <laughs> well, it sounds like the eighties. Like, Oh my God, a new club. <laughs> Tech noir. Have you heard about Tech noir? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I feel like, she ducks into that club, you know, and I was like, I feel like I've done this. You know, I mean, when I lived in New York, I would just like walk by a bar and be like, oh, let's go into it. You know what yeah. I mean? So I feel like I've been in tech noir. I wonder what this might have been like for audiences for seeing this, because to see these uh, trailers back then, you had to go to a theater. 
There was nothing on home video or internet or anything to see trailers. I remember in the early thousands, like 2000, 2001, ecstatic that I could download the latest trailers on an internet connection, you know, because even then on 56K and whatever 28K, 14.4 modems we had back then, it wasn't really feasible until like we got T1s to T3s and then into the faster internets, you know, and that was even you know, 15 years after this movie came out. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering how blind audiences came into this and if they were wondering if there was going to be like kind of a switcheroo that the that Arnold was actually playing a good guy and Reese was playing the bad guy or if they were expecting, you know, one or the other. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I feel like uh, I feel well, like- maybe not because he he's so robotic when he kills those punks or whatever and and all that. So it's obvious to say who the. I think the trailer sets it up nicely. Like they only show Arnold a couple times, you know, and that's yeah. like the Terminator. You know, it shows so. the endoskeleton first. I might have kept that, but they used it as a hook. And I I feel like there were TV spots. There had to have been. You know, because that was like the biggest media at the time. I mean, the home video was on the rise, but whenever you rented a movie from the video store, there were coming attractions on the tape, but yeah, usually was, they were coming soon to home video. Exactly. So people would have already seen the Terminator by the time they got to those things. I think TV is really the only thing or radio, which would just make it, you know, verbal. So, um, so yeah, I think a lot of people did go in blind to it. And um, I, I'm not sure what kind of marketing push this movie got. Yeah, me either. But um, then we get, you know, Kyle Reese saving the day, mm-hmm. you know, and him really having to hammer into her through some exposition because they're having to hide in cars, which is kind of, I want to say ingenious, but it's a nice way to provide that exposition because she has no idea what's going on. He's having to explain the situation to her and therefore us. That's right. And they're also furthering the story by getting away from the Terminator, right? Exactly. So yeah. a lot of things are happening at once and it's, it does actually raise the tension because his performance here is so excellent. I have I to agree. really hand it to Michael Bean, you know, come with me if you want to live. And the way he, he really sells all this stuff, you know, isn't super like hugely masculine. You know what I mean? Like he really was more of a down to earth, sensitive matter of fact, kind of guy mm-hmm. certainly compared to the terminator you know well of course i mean but the thing is that like, i i i think i'm remembering this correctly but uh sarah connor was afraid of michael bean's character because he was around her more than the terminator was at first like she thought she was he was the guy that was trying to kill her right yeah and so that line is so important and like her grabbing his hand and getting into the car and like starting to build a trust like at that one moment Right. And really that kind of dialogue is, is perfect. Come with me if you want to live. It's concise and it, it builds trust. And that's what those characters start to develop very quickly in this movie. I love his monologue. Like it will not stop. It feels no remorse. Like it will not stop ever until you are dead. You know, and he really hammers that in and is so passionate. I love it. And his priorities aren't our priorities, which is interesting, with just a few lines. Like later, I think she's like, well, how are the women in your time or whatever? And he's like, good fighters. And that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, it is so interesting how, how everything, all the societal bullshit is kind of stripped away in his mind. It's only about survival. Doesn't he also talk about like not, not knowing the world before the war? Doesn't he have a, a moment yeah. where he's talking about like, this is all that I've known since I've been he's born. Like this, all of this is gone. Just gone yeah so good yeah but uh after that um you know pick up um the greatest pickup line ever i'm gonna start using that in bars right if i weren't married you know come with me if you want to live it's <laughs> <laughs> like a rape line i know i know maybe i won't be doing that like, let me hold your drink for a minute you don't need a lid come with me if you want to live um 
But they're eventually picked up by the police and we get to a moment where we get another really fucking just iconic, memorable line, right? So they're in the police station and the Terminator's tracked them down and he comes in and he says, I'm gonna let you say it because you're better than me. I'll be Buck. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, like, the action in the movie is really ramped up at, at this moment. Like, it, he he's already killed people, you know, in the movie, but he's just, like, killing every fucking buddy in this moment. Well, it's, it's kind of a James Cameron thing to kind of up the ante a little bit, exceed expectations of what's going to happen next. Yeah. Right? And so he doesn't just come back in with a gun and shoot up the place, the obvious thing. You know, it just reminds me of a moment in Terminator 2 where you expect the the evil Terminator or whatever to come after John Connor on that moped, you know, and find a way to come to get around. But no, he drives a fucking Mack truck over the wall and lands into the canal or whatever where he's <laughs> driving and it's just like oh shit you know right. like it's like a just one of those oh shit moments because he just drives his fucking car right into the police station and just gets to work yes he does and i mean i have to say like the moments in the police station i really like some of the questioning right we have these little side characters that are memorable and they're brief right yeah lance hemrickson is present in this moment paul winfield who's an amazing actor Mm -hmm. you know has this sort of like bit role as you know like the police chief or whatever he is and i mean it's just really good it's really good from a story standpoint and a characterization standpoint it gives us just a couple more people in the movie aside from the main three yeah Meanwhile, uh, Sarah finally learns that her roommate had been killed. Gender. And her, and, yeah, gender and her uh, boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Her sweet, sweet boyfriend with the phone sex. That's right. <laughs> he, seemed, he seemed like a really nice rapist. Who was killed in his, his underwear. <laughs> That's right. He was a nice guy. I thought he was good looking, too. Yeah, I remember that vividly. <laughs> but uh, so they escape, obviously, right? And um, they make it to a motel. And um, that's where the movie takes a turn for the... For the sexy, I guess. Yeah, it does. They uh, they make their pipe bombs and do some hanky-panky. That's right. Kyle Reese admits to Sarah Connor, finally, that he's been in love with her low these many years. Yeah, and this is also the only breath that we take as an audience in the movie, right? That's, it's kind of right. right in the middle. Maybe a little over half the I don't know where it lands, but it's probably right in the middle, somewhere mm-hmm. in there. Because they are able to kind of like have a breath of fresh air. We get some flashbacks from Reese telling her about his life. Um, which is actually better than the beginning flashbacks, in my opinion, because it I really agree. humanizes it. Mm-hmm. You know, you think these kids are watching TV? Nope. <laughs> They're watching a candle that's on an emptied out, destroyed TV, you know, all this <laughs> shit. So depressing. <laughs> it is superhuman, though, you know, and I'm glad that we do get that because, um, you know, the thing is we we have a resistance fighting these peop- these machines in the future, right? But people still have to live. Like, not everyone's a fighter all the time, yeah. you know? And it's really good to see those moments. But it also establishes that um, in the future, they don't know what they look like. Every Terminator looks different. And so they have to rely on dogs. And they never really followed up on that as much in the last movies. They kind of just keep making Arnold, you know, as like an assembly line or something. Or, you know, they do have different Terminators, but they kind of allude that they only have a couple models versus in this first movie, they allude that every one of them looks different. Which is interesting. And I think that's a really good way to build a franchise. You know what I mean? Like, even if you were not already thinking about a sequel to a movie, and I'm fairly certain that Cameron was while he's making this movie, because that seems like Cameron to me. Um, But yeah, I mean, like, if they all look different, then it's perfect. I can get whatever actor I want to. I just got to find a dog. I mean, it's good. It's good story building. It's kind of an opportunity for comedy, too. Like, like, (laughs) this is what the machines think you look like. And, like, bug eyes and, like, drool and stuff. (laughs) This is you. This is what you look like. (laughs) You know what you look like? A rube. (laughs) 
with a little taste. Just looks like a human with a pug face or something. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a Terminator? I can't tell. <laughs> no, it's my brother. <laughs> oh my god, that's funny as fuck. But anyway, they uh, the dog starts barking right yeah. right after that little tell, the mm-hmm. little piece of exposition, visual storytelling. Really, yeah. They immediately leave the premises and have another chase scene. I don't know. I, I don't know what's scarier: the Terminator, or all the insurance for <laughs> pills from the stolen vehicles in this movie. Every time I turn around, I feel like the 1980s just wanted people to steal their cars. Whatever and happened to the moped she was driving at the beginning of the movie? I guess she gave it to John for the second one. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, she kept that one. She's like, oh, I hit it. <laughs> but no they're just stealing cars and shit left and right just like constantly in this movie right and i mean we sort of passed up you know we, we get another glimpse into what these terminators can do because it impersonates her mom on the phone to yeah. find them in the hotel right yep so i mean obviously these things can do a lot of things to make their job done right? and we learn we don't we're not given any warning that they can do some of these things that's right it was just out of the blue yeah so but we also don't don't get the feeling like any of these characters have plot armor you know, like mm-hmm. it'll kill anything in its path. That's her true. mother, her her roommate, her roommate's boyfriend, like the entire police station. Mm-hmm. It really upped the ante there, you know. And then now Kyle is wounded. And we know that it's pretty much fatal because he's passing out in the car. That's right. Which makes me sad. I like that character a lot. Yeah, me too. So, But he does have, you know, a sort of a, a sacrificial moment mm-hmm. as well in the movie, which is which is also good for that character. It's, it's, it's a really full circle character, right? And he has a chance to to place like his very last bomb well no like first he places in that truck that's true because she she wrecks the car trying to get it off his motorcycle and she succeeds and then she's on foot running away and the thing gets into a truck to run her down (laughs) and then he he sticks a pipe bomb in its tailpipe and then like jumps into a a dumpster hoping for the best i guess that she's gonna be okay <laughs> a bomb-proof dumpster <laughs> and um yeah and so it blows up and it's a false ending that's right because this is the moment where we get to see the terminator as a robot in all of its glory right yeah like sort of walking out of that explosion is mm-hmm. that yeah i'm yeah that's good yeah well it burns off all its stuff and then you're just like oh shit you know it's a robot now or whatever and the, of course the robot looks terrifying it does. I feel like that. I mean, to me, that's a lot scarier than Arnold. You know what I mean? Well, like, yeah, yeah. I think it's terrifying for any human being to run around shooting people in police stations. Right? That's it's a terrifying. All thing the skin turned off, blew, blew off, and now it's Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> <laughs> it's making that fucking noise. <laughs> yeah, but the fucking. Robot I was wearing the skin suit the entire time, Clarice. <laughs> Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, the robot is kind of terrifying. And I mean, it's got those red eyes and it just it looks menacing and still is emoting, you know. Mm. And yeah, it's just really, really good. One thing I loved is that it's injured, right? And so it's actually limping because Arnold was limping first. Oh, and really? you can see, you can actually see like a little actuator or whatever on the back of its heel disconnected <gasps> and bent. And so it's all there on camera because, of course, James Cameron, you know, is detail oriented. But like huh. that really connected the two for me. Just that little detail. Come on, continuity. Right? <laughs> that he was limping first, and then the robot was. And I love that. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't even notice that. And that's 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 fairly impressive to me. Yeah. And of course, then Kyle sacrifices himself, like you were getting to, mm-hmm. places his final pipe bomb in its torso and kills himself to do it. That's right. Of course, that also injures Sarah. Yes, but not in a life-threatening way. No. I mean, because even more life-threatening than that is when the Terminator's torso, you know, is sort of reactivated and grabs her. And um, she she's the one who finally destroys the the entire robot. There's a little 
tidbit here that I told you about offline. She injures her leg in that explosion. Mm-hmm. And in the original uh, pass, I don't even know if it's deleted scenes or not, but um, or if it ever you know, saw the light of day. But the Terminator would go through all the Sarah Connors and like rip open her legs to see if they had metal pins to identify that they got the right one. And that's how it knew that it wasn't the right one. It wasn't just going to continue to go through and kill all the Sarah Connors, right? Oh it was going to try and confirm the kill. Right. And so what was alluded to is that she was like some sort of athlete or something like that and had to get, you know, injured herself and had to get pins Mm -hmm. in her leg. And so what ended up being happening was after that explosion where the Terminator got ripped in half and she got her leg injured was that later on she got pins in it because of it. And it was going to show a continuity in the timeline that the only reason she had pins was because of the attack by the Terminator. It is that kind of like attention to detail in a, in a time travel movie that is just like fascinating. You know, I think a lot of times we watch movies that involve time travel like that and they don't pay as much attention to how the timeline is being affected by what's going on currently in the movie. Right. And I just that's so impressive. And I wish wish that I could see that in this movie. Yeah, I think what it was was it was too gratuitous showing him like rifling through people's like leg flesh. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and then also kind of the like whatever visual storytelling you would have had like oh she's got pins in her legs now doctor or something you know what I mean yeah you would like have I feel to like really, it would have been too much of an aside yeah and you, you may have to like really hang a lantern on that later on you know so. yeah and and already you've got just like James Cameron must have known what he had when he put this thing together with such good tension and tautness and pacing mm-hmm. throughout the entire thing it's on a knife's edge. And why why go stray off of that just for a little bit of intrigue, you know? It's true. He doesn't have to. I no. Because everyone, everyone's already on board, you yeah. know, and invested. So Exactly. Uh, but after the Terminator has been terminated, fucker. You're a terminated fucker. <laughs> <laughs> we get our little epilogue. And um, so Sarah Connor is traveling through Mexico and I guess, you know, maybe parts of the southern United States and mm-hmm. maybe beyond Mexico. And she's sort of, you know, recording this... Um, diary for her future son and um she stops at that gas station you know and we get these these final moments that again just really sum up the timeline a little bit more too yeah and i think this is the one he chose because he had two things that kind of signify the full circle right and that is the leg pens which he threw out and then this photograph which was what caused reese to fall in love with her the stories about her and then visualizing her in that photograph that john uh connor gave him himself Mm -hmm. you know i think that's the more beautiful callback to that to that time loop yeah it's it's certainly more emotional yeah and 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 character connecting even connecting john to the story and you know we don't get john in this movie at all except for you know dialogue about him as a person we don't really see him in flashbacks or anything like that and everything is just sort of hinging on this photograph for his own creation you know yeah it's yeah perfect it does end with a kind of a ham you know ham-handed ham-fisted kind of like (laughs) the little boy who says a storm is coming and she looks at him and looks in the distance says i know know. and you can see you know it's, it's actually showing a storm that's coming you know right there in space but you know what she's actually talking to about and of course as a kid i I don't even know that I got that. I was like six years old. I was like, oh, it is coming. I hope she drives okay or something like that. <laughs> you know, but of course, much after that, seven, eight years old or something, you get it because it's so ham-fisted. Yeah, for sure. Um, I still like it, though. <laughs> I know. I mean, it is ham-fisted, but it's okay. I'm, I'm okay with some melodrama and certainly a melodramatic ending. And it it really like it ends well. I it love does. that it shows her pregnant and talking to her kid and talking, you know, maybe one day I'll, I'll talk to you about your father. 
you know, and, and do spoilers, but then you might not have the, it might affect your choice to send him back. And it's like, wait, you just spoiled it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, I mean, but yeah, and this, I think they knew that they, they sort of ended the movie well, knowing that if they, they, if it wasn't popular and they never got to make a sequel, I think this as a one-off movie, this is really good. It's a good ending for that. It's almost like John knows he gets to choose his father. Oh my God. You know? Yeah. Jesus Christ. And what kind of, whoever I hand this photograph to, I'm basically anointing as my father. You know, it's interesting. That is super interesting. What, that, that's a fucking good theme. You know what I mean? Like the <laughs> ability to like create yourself. My God. Yeah. And speaking of themes, uh, the psychoanalyst Darian leader says the Terminator is an example of how the cinema has dealt with the concept of masculinity itself. He wrote that we are shown again and again that to be a man requires more than to have the biological body of a male. Something else must be added to it. To be a man means to have a body plus something symbolic, something that is not ultimately human. Hence the frequent motif of the man machine, like from the $6 million man or Terminator or Robocop. Mm-hmm. I think that's interesting. I, I also think that's very interesting. I mean, and I, I kind of like movies and shows that have that kind of recurring theme. So... Yeah, but I mean, like, I, I like the ones that kind of deconstruct it a little bit, you know, like that to be a man or to be like the, the action hero or something. It's something added on top of your normal frame. It's a mantle that you can place on yourself or achieve. And I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, it's kind of like saying that men or even like humankind is not enough, right? Like, we, there's no way in the world that we could possibly you know, protect ourselves without having an addition or an improvement, you know, but I, I mean, I get it, but I kind of like the idea of adding onto a man and making it better. I don't know. Yeah. The film also explores the potential dangers of AI dominance and rebellion. I didn't get that to you. (laughs) I mean, they talk about it briefly. (laughs) The robots become self-aware in the future, reject human authority and determine that the human race needs to be destroyed. Kyle Reese actually said to, to her in his exposition that when it went online, it only needed a fraction of a second to make that decision. That's frightening. Yeah. The impact on this theme is so important that the prevalent visual representation of AI risk has become the Terminator robot. Nice. So you had said earlier that you were seven or eight when you watched this movie, right? For the first time? Probably younger. I don't know. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I was a teenager when I saw this for the first time. I know I had seen Terminator 2 before I saw the first one. Huh. Like, I didn't see this movie until I was working in a video store and rented it. Yeah, I don't remember which one I saw first. So, but I I mean, I really, I liked this movie when I was a teenager. A I never lot. saw it on TV. Oh, I watched it on video. And I, I think I eventually owned it because I would oftentimes just like buy movies instead of renting them. So I I think that I watched it a lot when I was a kid. I just sort of left it by the wayside over the years. Well, I generally wasn't allowed to watch horror movies. Like I had to like beg and plead back in like 92 or whatever to see Bram Stoker's Dracula on home video for my birthday. Yeah. You know, so I wasn't really allowed to see much of that. And uh, the ones I would watch, I would catch on TV. Like I eventually watched Aliens on TV and fell in love with it and Terminator on TV. And so I think that's what got me into it was just catching these things on TV as they would happen and probably edited for TV. Yeah, I'm sure. Oh, God, watching this commercial would be terrible. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Do you have any fun facts for me? I do. Oh, good. So, for the role of the Terminator, they wanted someone even more famous than the person who would play Kyle Reese. So, both Sylvester Stallone and Mel Gibson turned down the role. Okay. The studio suggested O.J. Simpson. <laughs> what? <laughs> but James Cameron didn't think O.J. was a believable killer. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.
Little did he know. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't catch that murderous gleam in his eye. He very nearly had the role. There's actually cardboard cutouts that they put up like in the marketing and stuff, early marketing, oh, with O.J. Simpson dressed up as the Terminator. God. I mean, like, I feel like the Terminator would have been canceled, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank God that didn't happen. Also, thank God Mel Gibson didn't play it. Although Sylvester Stallone, I think, probably could have pulled it off. You know what I mean? Because he, he's played roles that are kind of similar to the Terminator anyway. I feel like he's too too obvious you know you think he's more obvious than arnold Schwarzenegger? yeah because he was in rambos oh that's true yeah so and that's coming up too so Schwarzenegger tried to have the iconic line i'll be back changed because he had difficulty pronouncing the word i'll <laughs> he also felt like the robotic character would not speak in contractions and that the terminator would be more declarative and say i will be back cameron refused the change uh to change the line to i will be back they almost came to blows on set and because Schwarzenegger worked to say the line like 60, 70 takes or something until he can finally do it, you know, but he wrote, he said it the best he could. And then, of course, he would later say the line numerous times throughout his career. Of course he would use contractions because doesn't he like he learns how to speak by listening to other people, right? Yeah. He goes through the options of what to say back to him and he chooses like, fuck you, buddy, and shit like that or whatever, you know? So, of course he'll say, fuck you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think if it actually came to, to blows, right? I mean, clearly Arnold Schwarzenegger could have kicked James Cameron's I'm ass, sure, you know. Right? Like ripped but, him in twain. Yeah. But he, James Cameron's not going to budge. You know, he's going to say what he wants and he's going to get it. And yeah. he's going to, you know. But while shooting the movie, James Cameron often resorted to what he called guerrilla filmmaking as a way of getting around acquiring permits needed uh, to film certain scenes. This involved the production crew and actors quickly arriving at a specified location, shooting the scene and leaving before the police arrived. <laughs> However, they couldn't always escape the fuzz. Oh, really? So the final scene where Sarah driving down a highway was filmed without a permit and Cameron and Heard convinced an officer who confronted them that they were making a UC la student film <laughs> smart would have loved to have been on this set actually yeah um it's also kind of like the way that they made um night of the comet right yeah. they were just like hey we're just gonna come shoot at the middle of the night or whatever everyone be there on this street because we know it's going to be deserted right now you know what i mean yeah that's interesting and smart it yeah. is guerrilla filmmaking yeah and i think there was another time like they had to do pickups and so uh james cameron had to do it on his own budget and he had to have something where um terminator was looking around in the um, the parking lot, the parking garage. And so they had just went to some parking garage and just drove around, just him and, and James Cameron with a camera. Oh, my God. And he had um, Arnold Schwarzenegger have a change of clothes and made him change into into the the clothes and then out of it again. In the garage? Yeah, in the garage, so that they wouldn't <laughs> be spotted as trying to make a movie or whatever. <laughs> and that's how porn is made. <laughs> <laughs> so the production was delayed by nine months due to arnold's commitments to conan the destroyer so cameron used the downtime to write the screenplay for rambo first blood part two love that movie yep and so uh it's, uh, he has a writing credit on it and with uh sylvester stallone i don't think that i realized that yeah and uh and then he also started another draft that would later become known as a little film called aliens oh what's that about <laughs> so yeah he uses downtime very well he does he's always working yeah <laughs> he never stops he will not ever stop until <laughs> until everyone's dead <laughs> so the casting of sarah connor was down to two women linda hamilton and jennifer jason lee oh uh, that could have been fun i can see it yeah oh my god because she was so good in the hitcher like she <sighs> okay give me a minute but just a minute. <laughs> Jennifer Jason Lee deserves more work. 
She should have been working consistently throughout her entire career. And maybe she took some time off. And I'm glad that she's back. You know what I mean? She gets cast a lot these days. I love Jennifer Jason Lee so much. I could totally see her in the fucking Terminator franchise. But yeah. I would never give up Linda Hamilton for anything. Yeah. You know, I, it'd be interesting to see Jennifer Jason Lee in this role, you know? So Bruce Willis and Sting were both considered for the part of Reese. My God. I could totally see Sting playing that part. <laughs> <laughs> but then the sex scene would have been longer because wasn't he like into the tantric sex at least by then right so i don't know david bowie <laughs> i mean no well, that wouldn't have worked at all but sting completely although he'd be railing come with me if you want to live i don't know that sounded more like elvis <laughs> I know, that does not sound like sting. every breath you take <laughs> no i was trying to say like bowie oh <laughs> we're doing sting stuff no yeah david bowie no sting maybe bruce willis how do you feel about that I don't even remember him from movies in 1984, like era. Yeah, you know? I don't know. The earliest movie I can think of him in is Die Hard. Yeah, and I knew, well, he was on Moonlight. You still haven't that. seen Fifth Element? No, his best movie. Is it? Yes. So apparently, Arnold Schwarzenegger was discovered by Lucille Ball. This has nothing to do <laughs> with the movie, but I found this out. She cast him in her special Happy Anniversary and Goodbye back in 1974, and she continu- continued to send him little notes of support after each film he'd complete through until her death. Really? Mm-hmm. She, it's like, what's happening with the little star I created? Well, I think it may be more than that. Lucille Ball was extra horny in her later years, and she just really liked that kind of body. Who knows? Who knows? But that's interesting. Lucille Ball. Jesus. So the German Shepherd at the hotel was actually owned by James Cameron. Oh. Its name was Wolfie. <laughs> A name that may or may not come up in the sequel. <laughs> Wolfie's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, who knows? So that seems so oddly specific. <laughs> I laughed when he said it. How's Wolfie? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. So for my last one, uh, kicking off Cameron's early to mid-career reputation, the crew of the film made t-shirts saying, you can't scare me, I work for James Cameron. What was he like freaking about? I'm sure he wasn't shooting guns beside people's heads. (laughs) Oh my God. I mean, James Cameron. James Cameron built relationships doing this. He would work with Arnold Schwarzenegger several more times, Linda Hamilton several more. I mean, like he would marry Linda Hamilton after Terminator 2. I mean, and Galeon Heard. So these people work with him again and again. So Gorney Weaver is another example, you know? Some people don't do it. Like maybe mostly the crews have a problem with him, but he's not, you know, like Friedkin ruined relationships (laughs) doing exorcism. Like he he would uh, burn bridges, you know, doing his stuff. So I feel like. Cameron is just all around difficult all the time, like a low level to moderate level of difficult versus Friedkin would do just absolutely outrageous bullshit. Crazy bullshit. And I kind of feel like James Cameron, he seems like a good leader. You know what I mean? And for the people who are really making films because it's not just a career for them, it's something that they enjoy doing. Right. And this could be from any aspect of filmmaking. James Cameron seems like the kind of person who comes in with a clear vision and should very easily be able to rally the kind of people who just have a passion for filmmaking, right? Like you just trust your director, you trust your leader and you you know that you may have a lot of hard moments and you may not like him all the time, but by God, if you're working on a James Cameron movie, you know, it's going to be good at the end of the day. Well, even who's the, God damn, who's the actress who played Rose in Titanic? Kate Winslet. Kate Winslet uh, famously said, you know, she loves his work she she enjoyed 
you know, being part of a project with him, but that he was, he would fly off the handle sometimes and that she would have to be paid a lot of money to ever work with him again. And over the time they, they've actually maintained a relationship. And of course, so she's actually back and she's doing avatar now. She's an avatar. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. Is Sigourney Sigourney back? Yeah. All right. I'll watch it. He's bringing her back too. Love it. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, like I, I can see that. And I think that Winslet, at the time she was in Titanic had only done some like period drama for the most part. I mean, she worked with Peter Jackson and shit like that, but um, that probably was the toughest movie that she would have had to film up into that point in her career. So I get that. Oh. And either you're like prepared Easily. for it or not. Well, you know? any movie where water is involved, oh, Jesus Christ, is always going to be difficult. Yeah. Those, those facts were fun. And Good. of course this whole next avatar movie is basically going to be underwater. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and really? so it was like, she went on Twitter. I think her and Sigourney went on Twitter with their numbers or whatever. Like, nah, I can now hold my breath for six minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and they have like a competition on set of who, which actor can hold their breath. For once. That's super interesting. Now I'm excited for that movie. And I wasn't until just then. <laughs> well, let's have some final thoughts um, and answer some questions. Like we always do on the film flamers. So is the Terminator a horror movie? Emphatically. Yes. I agree. I don't know that it was sort of marketed that way. I feel like by 1984, action movies were really on the rise. Already. The trailer did seem very slashery. It did, me. right? And I, I can see where I can see throughout the movie where James Cameron was drawing influence from slasher movies, and he wanted to have a movie that had that kind of like style and plot. Yeah, specifically Michael Myers. Yeah, I mean, because honestly, the Terminator is just running around like murdering people, you yeah. know. And um, the movie does feel really actiony to me, and I, you know. In the franchise, I've only ever seen Terminator 2, but um, I think it takes a huge leap into action film from there. And I think that the Terminator, the original, is just, at its surface, a horror movie. Yeah. With some sci-fi elements. I think mostly it's a horror movie. More so than the sequel. Yeah, very much. Even though the sequel is, I would still say, very horror if not solidly in horror action i'm super ready to talk about that movie because there's some really good kills in terminator 2 yeah love it uh were you scared while watching the terminator god i just had the image of the perfect iconic image of um jeanette goldstein uh slicing the stepdad through the fucking milk carton in the second one that's so horror anytime that fucking like knife arm goes through like someone's head or eyeball i'm like love it you recognized her right no I just, until you just said that, I had no idea. Do you know who Jenna Goldstein is? Yeah, she's, uh, what's her name from Aliens? Right? Yeah. yeah, Vasquez. Vasquez. And then later, she's uh, one of the couples in Titanic cuddling on the bed as they drown. And she's super, super perfect in she's Near Dark. She's different in every single goddamn She's movie. my favorite part yeah. of Near Dark. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, yeah. We digress. <laughs> we obviously love that actress, but <laughs> were you scared while watching Terminator? Uh, yeah. When I was a kid, certainly. And still today, there's parts that are just tense as fuck. Mm-hmm. I can't say that I was scared on this particular rewatch, um, but definitely the first time that I watched it as a teenager and and on subsequent reviewings when I was younger, I was pretty, pretty frightened throughout this movie. You're certainly on the edge of your seat through yeah. all of it, right? And that's that's tense and scary. So out of five stars, what would you rate The Terminator? I gave it five stars. No movie can be perfect, but it's as close to perfectly constructed movie as you can make it to me. There's some imperfections, certainly over time, as mm-hmm. we see these, some of these effects. But to me, it's just so entertaining, so intriguing, um, so, so emotionally involved with it from beginning to end that it's as close to a, a good movie watching experience as I can, I can get when compared to my other five stars. So I had to give it five stars. 
Originally, I rated this movie directly after watching it three and a half stars. The fuck you say? I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) With the advent of Letterboxd, that means that Chris saw my rating almost immediately. (laughs) So So I immediately shamed him. Yeah, I was brought to task. And I held held that rating, you know, and I I think I did that because like like we talked about, some of the special effects really took me out of the movie. And it took me a minute to get back into it. And it seemed very 80s. And not necessarily in a good way that I feel when watching other 80s movies, right? But um, over the course of the days after I watched it, I was thinking about how classic it is and how good of a horror movie it is. Like, I stopped thinking about it as an action science fiction film and started thinking about it as horror again. And so I bumped that up to four stars, and that's my official rating. Awesome. And you should feel comfortable keeping whatever rating. Regardless of how many people shame you. Oh, I am. The shaming is not the reason I did it. I, this is for me. Like, I'll, I'll be shamed. If you like want to follow me naked down the street, ringing a bell over my Terminator rating, I'll do it, you know? <laughs> so it's okay. But uh, so finally, and some would say most importantly, who's the hottest guy in the Terminator? Rick Rossovich. Matt? <laughs> Ginger's boyfriend. He was really fun. He was hot. Um, I, With a close second of Kyle Reese, played by Michael Bean. I'm so torn. I, Matt's really hot. And when I was watching it, the movie, I was like, he might be my choice. We'll say there's no shortage in this movie. There's at least no. three hot guys. Yeah. But I'm super torn between Arnold and, and Michael, right? I think that they are both super, super hot. They've been um, on different occasions. Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I really don't find Arnold Schwarzenegger attractive, you know, ever. But for some reason, rewatching this movie, I was like, okay, like 1984 Schwarzenegger is kind of hot, but Michael Bean is so sexy. I really have to land on Michael Bean, really. I feel like Arnold Schwarzenegger is at his hottest in True Lies. Really? Okay. I need to watch that again. I don't know. I, I feel like this is the pinnacle of hot Schwarzenegger as the Terminator. Mm-hmm. No, because you see him through Jamie Lee Curtis's eyes, really, you know, and it's that empathetic thing that you kind of finally see him that way, you know, someone you could take home to mama. Well, yeah, and he's kind of funny in that movie in an enduring sense, you know what I mean? Here he's just like roughing people up and, you know, situationally. Michael Bean, though, is my my ultimate choice because just Michael Bean from The Terminator, I would let rail me. (laughs) (laughs) She's really getting railed. (laughs) We're referring to an SNL skit. Look it up, please. (laughs) It's so funny. Okay, well, I think that just about wraps up our conversation on The Terminator. And obviously, we want to know what you think about this movie. Is it a classic to you? Is it something that you watch a lot? Do you think it's a horror movie? You can let us know on social media at The Film Flamers on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at tiredqueens at filmflamers.com or you can call us at 972 666 7733. Let your voice be heard. Come with us if you want to live. Oh. (laughs) If that doesn't get a fucking voicemail, I don't know. Did you mean to say live with us if you want to (laughs) come? Live with us if you want to come. No, they have to go. I mean... (laughs) Oh... Um, if you need even more Film Flamers content, we have a lot coming out for you for the rest of August, including Terminator 2, like we alluded to. But over on Patreon, we have two bonus episodes this month where we're talking about Dick Tracy and Darkman. So head over to patreon.com slash thefilmflamers and get that bonus content for as little as $2 a month. Well, Robert, 
I need to get to the chopper. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, I'll be back though, so we can have some sweet dreams. You're terminated, fucker. <laughs> <laughs>